Welcome to Passion Life Church. Amen. Well, welcome to Passion Life Church this morning as we celebrate this amazing, amazing day. And, and uh, today I want to talk to you about having a resurrection in your life. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to Luke chapter 23. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. That's where we have this giant Bible right here on the screen that, that you can uh, look at. But let me just give you a brief history about what we're going to read. Jesus is, uh, has been beaten. Jesus has exchanged a, cloud of, a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He has been beaten so bad, the Bible says that he was scourged 40 times. Many people do not survive that. History tells us that that scourging is called the half death. Many people die just in the scourging alone. He's been beaten. He's been spit upon. They have pulled out his beard. And now he is hanging on the cross. I was reading an article this week by Dr. C. Truman and Davies, and he was saying that crucifixion is the most painful death ever invented by man. And I want to remind us today that when Jesus came, he came at when capital punishment was the worst. He could have come and they could have put an IV in his vein and he could have died. And all the sin of the world, right? But that's not what happened to Jesus. He endured incredible, incredible punishment. Why? For you and for me. So now Jesus is hanging on the cross and the soldiers are mocking him. And let's read in Luke chapter 23, verse 36. It says this. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Let me pause right here and ask us a question. Throughout history, do you know of one king or one president that put himself on a cross for the followers that he loved. Do you know of one king or one president that would allow himself to be crucified by his own followers to show them that he loves them? As I was reading this, the paraphrase above my Bible said this at this verse, a king on a cross. What kind of king puts himself on a cross to demonstrate his love for his followers. My friends, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he is the king on the cross. In verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn into two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in the middle of something that you weren't quite planning to be in the middle of. I'm that guy that I find myself a lot in the middle of situations that I just go, my mom's always like, and my wife's like, those things always happen to you. Like I live next to a guy who owned a chihuahua, you know, a little dog, right? They're vicious and demon possessed. You know, when they get mad, they shake all the time. And, you know, and I think they're just mad because they're not the mascot of Taco Bell anymore, you know, and get on Taco Bell. They rip them out of there, right? And every dog owner that I've ever met always says the same thing to me. They say, oh, don't worry. He doesn't. He does. See, and it's probably your dog too, right? He doesn't bite. Don't worry. Now, I just happened to remember her name. Her name was Rhonda, okay? And I remember her name because I had to go to counseling after I had an encounter with her. Because little old Rhonda shook so bad, she looked like a dog on crack cocaine, right? And she saw me, and then her lips, right? And her, her owner said, don't worry, she doesn't. Well, I said, okay, I'm not worrying, but she is shaking. She is shaking. That's the first sign. And so I moved to get my car, and as soon as he said, don't worry, my dog doesn't bite, she bolted for my calf, and she wanted some carne asada. Come on, somebody. And she took a piece out of my calf, but don't worry, she don't bite. So I've been bitten by a chihuahua. And then the other day, well, it was probably about a year ago, I went to some people's house, I was purchasing some stuff for the church, and I went to their house and I knocked on the door like, hey, come on in. And I said, hey, how are you doing? They said, oh, come on in. I walked in the door and guess they had a dog. But this one was a poodle. This poodle charged at me and jumped and bit my thigh. Guess what the owner said? Don't worry. She doesn't. She doesn't bite. So I was telling my mom about this story. She said, Phil, don't ever tell people you were bitten by a poodle. That's like not masculine, man. I mean, when you tell the story, at least say it was like a Rottweiler or something. I mean, you got bit by a chihuahua. My mom's laughing at my manhood. Come on, somebody. Come on, let's just pray for my mom for just a moment. But I understand she wants a son that's rugged. And, and, but I've been in these situations. I don't know if you have. You find yourself going into the store and you're like, hey, I'm just going to run in real quick. Run back out. You run in. You're like, okay, nobody's at the cashier. And so you run, you get your stuff. And there just so happens to be one person in front of you. And you're in a rush. And they pull out 10,000 coupons. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They are an extreme couponer. And you are like, oh, my, and you have to wait. You have to wait. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of situations. I happen to have some bad experiences at Disneyland. I know they say it's the happiest place on earth, but I have not yet to experience that. When I was 16 years old, I was, went on a church trip. I mean, it was a church trip. And I had my best friend. His name was Johnny. And Johnny is, is a great guy. Uh, he was, he, I mean, he would be one of those guys you would call a bad boy. I mean, this dude would rip into his own mom. And I would just be like, dude, that's your mom. 
And, and, and he's like, yeah, I won't let anybody talk bad about my mom, but I, I, sometimes I'll talk back to her. I mean, he was just, just this. And so we were on a church trip. We went to Disneyland. So we went on the Space Mountain. How many of you know when they still had the big chocolate chip cookie? Come on. And, uh, and we were having a great time. But guess what? We went into the bathroom, and Johnny pulls out these sunglasses, and they were teardrop. They had mirrors on them. And I'm telling you, back then, he looked rico, suave. That's what we used to say in the 80s. That's what Geraldo told us to say. And he looked rico, suave. And he's looking at and he's like, hey, check these out. I'm like, man, those are great. And then this guy walks in. He's about 26 years old. And he goes, hey, man, great sunglasses. And Johnny goes, thanks. And he goes, do you have a receipt for that? And I'm looking at him. And Johnny's like, no, I don't got no receipt for that. He goes, I know, because I saw you steal them. And I said, I'm hanging out with a criminal. I didn't even know that. And so they took John and handcuffed him at Disneyland. Fast forward 10 years later, I'm a youth pastor at a church. And we take three Greyhound buses of teenagers to the happiest place on earth from El Paso, Texas, all the way to California. And I had these two twin girls. They were adorable. And as we were at Disneyland, I get a call from one of my chaperones saying, guess what? You need to come to the head office because two of your girls stole some stuff. And I got to the head office and I'd see these girls and then I looked around I wanted to make sure we weren't filming for cops you know what I'm talking about that TV show I want to make sure I want to be on there and I find myself so many times just in the middle of these situations how many of you ever find yourself in those types of situations where you go oh this is so awkward I mean it's just weird and I think when you think about Jesus and you think about how he lived his life. He found himself in these situations. I mean, Jesus is just chilling and he gets an invitation to a wedding. So he's like, I'm going to wear my fancy robe. I'm going to go to the wedding. I'm just going to chill. But it turns out they run out of wine. In that time, wine was a big thing at weddings. It kept the party going. They, they actually thought it was, it, it was the joy. It was the spirit of joy. And they run out of wine. And what they would do, and I'm not trying to give you any ideas, but what they would do in that time is they would put the strongest wine out and the people would drink the strongest. And then to save some money, they would put the more diluted wine at the end. And so they run out of wine and... Mary, Jesus' mother, tells the, the guys and the bartenders, hey, listen, just do what Jesus tells you to do. And they go to Jesus, and you know what he does? In the middle of that moment, he turns the water into the wine. And you know what he does? They take it to the wine tester guy, and he tells the bride and the groom, you know what? You have saved the best wine for last. I think somebody was glad that they invited Jesus to the party. Because he turned the water into wine. Today, people don't take Jesus to the party because they're afraid because they think he's this cookie cutter God. But thank God that bride and groom invited Jesus to the party because he kept the joy going. Invite Jesus to your party. And then Jesus is preaching at the temple. At the temple. And they bring a woman who got caught in adultery. The Bible says this. She got caught in the act. I mean... Do I need to explain any more? 
I don't know how this was arranged, but it seems like it was because they caught her in the act. And Jesus is preaching. And I'll tell you what, I've been in some crazy preaching scenarios. I was preaching at one place. They invited me to preach. And I was preaching. All the people went, and I thought, man, they're really liking this. It turned out, thank God I didn't know, at the end, a bat had flew down from the top all the way down. Thank God I didn't know. I would have screamed like a little girl. I'm just telling you. I would have, this man of faith and powder or powder, power, I would have ran out. Don't tell me there's no bat. I was preaching in Mexico one time and I saw a cat run through the, the auditorium. And I'm preaching, I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Jesus is preaching. They bring this naked woman out, throw him, throw her right in front of why just interrupt Jesus. How many of you know you're going to hell if you interrupt Jesus while he's preaching? I want to do that. That's a joke. And so here's this woman and and the religious people of the time. Here Jesus is caught in the middle of this and they brought her there to trap him. And this is what they say. The law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned. Jesus, what do you say? And I love Jesus because he's got swag. I love Jesus because he looks at him and this is what he does. He bends down and then he writes on stone. Now, We understand that in history, the temple back there was made out of cement, stone. And so they asked Jesus, what should we do? And he looks at them and he gets down and he writes on the stone. That would be like you saying, hey, Pastor Phil, how you doing? And I said, what is he doing? And then he says, if any of you have no sin, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. And then you know what he does? He gets down and writes again. What did that even mean? You know what's interesting is the the religious people of that day knew exactly what Jesus was doing. Because there was a time in the Old Testament where God had written two times on stone. It was when God gave the Ten Commandments. And Jesus was taking his finger and he was writing on stone. And it was as if he was telling the religious people, listen, you presume to tell me the law? I wrote the law. And I am here not to condemn people, but I am here to fulfill the law. And you know what's interesting is that he says, if any of you have no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. You know what I love about Jesus? If there was anybody that day that could have thrown a stone, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't throw it. And the religious leaders who shouldn't have thrown a stone wanted to throw a stone. And he looks at this woman caught in the act of her sin. This is what he says. Where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. Listen to what he says. Then I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus gives her the gift of no condemnation. And then he tells her to go sin no more. And honestly, ladies and gentlemen, if that's how Jesus says it, that's how it should be. Before we we go and sin no more, you need to receive the gift today of no condemnation. The Bible says that he did not come to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. And now Jesus finds himself on the cross. I want you to hear this. He finds himself on the cross in the middle of two criminals. 
One translation says they're robbers. One translation uh, says that they're criminals and thieves. Now Jesus finds himself in another, in the middle of another situation. But ladies and gentlemen, this was not accidental. This was intentional. Do you know that the Bible says hundreds of years before Jesus came, Isaiah said this, that Jesus would be among the transgressors. He would be numbered among the transgressors. Can I ask you a question? When you die, have you ever thought about your last moments? Have you ever thought about who you want to spend those last hours with? Maybe some close friends. Maybe your dog that doesn't bite. Maybe close family. Maybe. We know some, come on, some of us have that, you know, those family members that we just... Who would you surround yourself with in your last moments? Have you ever thought about that? Because Jesus, in the last moments of his life, in the last hours of his life, was surrounded by two criminals and two thieves. And as his mom looked at him, In those last moments, I cannot even imagine what this would be like for my mom to watch me die. But not only that, my mom watched me die among two thieves and criminals. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you today that Jesus is the man in the middle. And it was not by accident. It was actually intentional that he would die in the middle of two sinners. You know, I love the Bible because the Bible tells us about Jesus. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus loves sinners. I don't know what your background is here today at church. I don't know if, if maybe this is the first time. I don't know what you know about Jesus. I don't know if you, you judge Jesus based on people who have condemned you, but that's actually not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. God didn't want to spend eternity without you, so he gave you the best that he had. But ladies and gentlemen, God not only, Jesus not only loves sinners, but the Bible says he spent time with sinners when he took on flesh. And listen to this. Not only did he spend time with sinners, but Jesus saves sinners by dying in the middle with sinners. Jesus died with sinners. You know how Jesus saves sinners? By dying with them. He died right in the middle of two criminals. And that's what he does. And I say all that to say, when he's hanging there, with crucifixion being the worst torturous death that has ever been known to man, there's something you need to know. Every breath on the cross matters. It matters. And these criminals, these criminals begin to talk. They begin to to speak. And here's where I want to take some time today. Jesus is the man in the middle and two thieves on the cross. Now listen. One thief will experience a resurrection with Jesus and one will not. And why is that? Why will one enter into paradise with Jesus and one will not? See, one of the things I've, I've learned as a pastor is that many people interpret their own misconceptions as truth. Can I just encourage you? Don't believe everything you, you, you think. 
I think some people think their opinion is God. It's not. But just because they think it, listen, not everything you think is going to be true. Just like those two people who told me their dog didn't bite, they didn't have a clue. But just because you believe it or just because you think it doesn't mean that it is true. And in reality, these two men are hanging with Jesus. Now watch, listen. People are yelling to Jesus. If you are the son of God, hey, save yourself. Can I just tell you, Jesus didn't come to this earth to save himself. Jesus didn't need saving. Jesus came to save humanity because we were the ones that needed saving. And so the thief begins mocking and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you save himself? Let me just give you a moment here. Thank God that Jesus didn't jump off that cross. You know, Jesus told Pilate that at any time I could call 10,000 angels and you know what? They could annihilate the whole Roman empire. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that one angel could take out 10,000 people. Can you imagine a legion of angels? All Jesus would have to have done is given his word and angels wouldn't have been around. Thank God he did not come to save himself. Thank God he did not get off the cross because he loves humanity. They said, if you can't save yourself, how can you save us? The reality of it is, is this whole mission, the truth, his whole mission was Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. Ladies and gentlemen, he came to earth because humanity failed. God was perfect. We were not. And his love speaks to us today. And so today I want to give you four truths. I believe if you're going to experience a resurrection today in your life, four truths that are going to help you today. Number one, you need to realize that as Jesus hung on that cross between two thieves, Jesus is always the man in the middle. He's always the man in the middle. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man. That man is Jesus Christ. Now listen. So this one thief who mocks Jesus, he, he doesn't understand what's going on. Listen, listen, listen. He thinks because he's hanging next to Jesus, he thinks that, well, if Jesus is there, if you really are the son of God, I wouldn't be in this situation. The reality is he was in that situation because of his own choice. You know, I have people tell me as a pastor, I don't know why I went through this, Pastor Phil. If God was really with me, I don't know why I went through this. I want to encourage you and tell you today, Jesus is always the man in the middle of your situation. Listen, if he can hang in the middle of two thieves, he can be right in the middle of your life. But the reality of it is, is we are responsible for our own choices. And despite, oh, I love this, despite this thief's mocking, despite this thief saying, if you are the son of God, Jesus is still right in the middle of his life. That's the God that we serve. I love that. And today you may say, man, Pastor Phil, I'm in the middle of some stuff. You may be in the middle of some other stuff, but I can't say it in church. You are in the middle of some stuff. You may be right now in the middle of a struggling marriage. And let me tell you, Jesus is the, still the man in the middle. You may be right now in the middle of looking for a new job or unemployment. Let me just tell you, Jesus is still the man in the middle. You may be right now in the middle of an awkward financial situation. 
And let me just tell you this. Jesus is still the man in the middle. The answer is still the same. Can I just tell you that Jesus is right there with you always, always, always. But here's the difference. If you're going to experience a resurrection, not only do you need to know that Jesus is the man in the middle, but number two, you need to know this. A response of faith makes the difference. I picked this story, and I believe God showed me this story because both of them were thieves. And the Bible doesn't tell us what they did. I like this because it leaves it vague. So we can assume maybe one hijacked a chariot or something. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe one went in his mom's purse and stole something. Maybe he broke into somebody's house. We don't know. But you know what I like about it? I like about it because you could put your situation and all of the bad things you've done in what this person did. And guess what? Jesus was still right there. So both of these men are equal. Both of them are criminals. Both of them are robbers. What is the difference? Why does one experience a resurrection? And why does the other one? It was their faith, not their deeds. Because both of them were criminals. See, it doesn't matter today what you've done. If you'll have faith in the Son of God, you can experience a resurrection. It doesn't matter what you're going through in terms of your marriage. If you will have faith, God can resurrect it. Are you here this morning? See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Would you say this with me? Say righteousness. Say aloud, righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is not a reward. It's a gift. If it was a reward, you would have to earn it. And you know what you do for righteousness to get it? You believe and have faith in Christ. Because that's what grace is. See, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, we did not deserve Jesus to come for us but he came, that's his grace. And see, God's mercy is God not giving us what we do not deserve. The Bible says in Lamentations, if it was not for his mercy, we would be consumed. So God gives us the grace. And I love this because both of the thieves, one is mocking him. Guess what? You will never receive anything from God by doubting. Nobody has ever received anything from God by doubting him. And one begins to mock him but I love what the other thief begins to do. The other thief begins to respond in faith. And as this one is mocking, the other one speaks up and he says, hey, listen, I wanna remind you of something. We are paying for our sins, but this man here has done nothing. He's an innocent man. We stole, we're guilty, but he, he is innocent. And I love what this other thief does. You know what he does? He begins to acknowledge Jesus as his savior. And he says, listen, you are God. And this is what he says. He says, hey, because he's acknowledging, hey, we've messed up. And then he says, I want to be with you in paradise. Do you know when a person is crucified, in a matter of three minutes or so, Here's what doctors tell us. Every breath is so crucial on the cross. I just want to explain this so you can understand Jesus. Doctors tell us in a matter of three minutes when they're put on the cross, 
that in your hands and in your feet are the most sensitive nerve endings. And remember, this is the most crucial death. Jesus is hanging on the cross, but they say within a matter of minutes that your wrist, your elbow, and your shoulder are immediately dislocated. So on both sides, you have a wrist, you have an elbow, and you have a dislocated shoulder. I've had friends that have, have had one dislocated shoulder, and they say that the pain is so excruciating that they could not take it. And Jesus is hanging on the cross with all of these dislocated, and here's what's important. Every time, because of the position of the cross, the way that the cross killed you was you died of asphyxiation. You could not breathe. So listen to this because it's important. Every time Jesus took a breath, this was strategically placed by the Romans. They had to push themselves up on the cross, putting the pressure onto their feet where there was a nail. They had to push themselves up just to exhale. So if you can only imagine talking what he would have to do. So every time Jesus would talk, he would have to push his physical body up, dislocated arms to speak. And this is what he says. He says to this thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Ladies and gentlemen, I said all that to say this, that in Jesus' dying last breath, He's still saving sinners. Come on, can you give him a good round of applause? That's the God that we serve. He was still loving them. He was still loving them. And he says, now listen, you will be with me in paradise. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that it was dark. And there was an earthquake. Maybe it happened in California. I don't know. But it was, it was an earthquake. And at Golgotha, I can just imagine this thief, he looks over to Jesus and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Jesus had never called his father, my God. He has always, Jesus had always called God father. But you know why he called God, my God, my God, so you and I could call him father. See, Jesus would be forsaken by his own father so you and I could be accepted by his father. And you know what happened? Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And guess what? It's all dark. And I can just imagine this thief. I can imagine he looks over and says, Jesus? 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 Jesucristo? Jesus? And he's gone. And I can imagine this thief going, hey, didn't you say I was going to be with you in paradise? And all of a sudden it's dark. See, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus speaks to us a word, even when the dark times, we have to believe Jesus's word. And even when it's dark, the thief had to have faith that Jesus was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And I got to tell you this morning, Jesus will do the same with you. I don't know what darkness is over your life, but he is the man in the middle. But listen, your faith 
is the response that gets the resurrection, not doubting. People ask me this all the time. Pastor Phil, well, why does one person get this and one person get that? One person is healed, one person is not healed. Why? They are both the same. God loves them the same. Absolutely, God loves all people the same. But you know what he responds to? He responds to faith. Would you say that with me? Would you say faith? He responds to faith. And when you respond by faith and believing in him, you can experience a resurrection. Do you know if you're going to experience a resurrection, number one, you got to know Jesus is there. He's the man in the middle. Number two, faith is the response that he's looking for. But number three, before there's a resurrection, there must always be a death. There must always be a death. Jesus dies. It's dark. And the thief had to have faith in him. You may find yourself today in a struggling relationship, a struggling marriage. Do you know when I do marriage counseling, a lot of times I find that there's an attitude that has to die before there's a resurrection. If you want your marriage to resurrect, you know what, sometimes there's attitudes that have to die. How many of you know, if you're in the middle of a financial crunch, how many of you know sometimes there's spending habits that have to die? Before there's a resurrection. And let me say this. Sometimes in our life there's belief systems that have to die. In the middle of your financial crunch, I want you to know that Jesus is there. And if you're going to receive a resurrection in this life, listen, you're going to have to allow your old man, your old person to die. Paul said this. I love this. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there was a point in my life that I came to that I said, hey, I'm tired of all of this. I did everything my friends told me to do. And I came to a point where I said, God, I need to give you my life. And at that point, the old Phil died. And guess what happened? God filled me with his life. And Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Today, you're seeing a young man who Christ is living in. And can I just tell you this morning, Christ wants to live in you. He wants to love you and love through you. He wants you to experience a resurrection. And here's where we close. Number four, you need to understand in a resurrection that since Jesus resurrected, so can you. So can you. Listen, my church family and my friends, the cross is empty and the tomb is empty so our hearts could be full of him. He's not hanging there anymore. He beat death, hell, and the grave. And I love what Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says. People saw him. People saw him in his resurrected body. It says, after this suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. My church family, God's intention for Easter wasn't just so we celebrate him and celebrate a resurrection, but today that you experience one in your life. And let me say, I don't care who you are today or what you've done, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. And he died a brutal death for you 
and rose again. So now he can be alive in your heart. I want to close with this scripture. I love this scripture. Bobby said it during the worship. He didn't even know I was going to read it, but it says this. In Romans, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It will quicken your mortal body. I looked up that word quicken. The Bible was written in the New Testament in Greek and then in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And I looked up that word quicken. And it says, if the same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. You know what that means? That word quicken in the Greek means it will produce life in you. It will cause you to live. It will give you spiritual power. And this is my favorite word. His life will invigorate you. I don't know what kind of life you're living now, but I'm telling you that when that resurrected life comes in on the inside of you, he wants to invigorate your life and give you the God kind of life today. I'm telling you that you can experience a resurrection in your life. And that spirit, listen to me, that resurrection spirit is a get up and go type of spirit. It's, a, it's an alive type of spirit. See, I don't have to drink anymore and get drunk anymore to try to fill alive and then get up the next day and still be empty because I've got the resurrection life on the inside of me that invigorates my life in the dark times. And I'm telling you this morning that God wants to give it to you and there can be a resurrection in your life today. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 